Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. I am so excited today to welcome Megan Apperson. She's a blogger, homeschooling mom, pastor's kid. They live in North Carolina, and she just released an amazing book, Sky Full of Stars. Welcome, Megan. Hi, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so your book, when I read it, I had to completely ignore my family. I couldn't find a spot to put it down. I mean, I had to put it down and go make dinner. Yeah. And then I told my family all about it, and... My husband was like, why are you reading that? It sounds so hard. And I'm like, but you have to hold someone else's pain sometimes. And your book yeah. is beauty and love and grace wrapped in like hard stuff. So how would you describe your book? Because no one <laughs> besides me and you know what it is since it's a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Sky Full of Stars is, is really a story of... Um, my journey of motherhood with our third child who was born profoundly disabled, medically fragile. And, you know, we were living a, a very kind of, you know, ordinary life with our two traditionally abled children. And it came out of nowhere. It was not something I'd ever anticipated. You know, we had no family history of this. And so um, Avery was born with some very severe birth defects. And so the book came about because I, I had a blog and I'd been blogging with family to keep them updated on Avery's um, progress and condition and and people started sharing it and it became this this huge community that was following along and, and really loving her and so uh, the book is about really finding purpose and joy and being okay in the midst of really 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 hard stuff it's about you know learning to advocate for Avery I have a little bit of a gritty personal history mm-hmm. that I share in the book that that really played a role in in knowing what could happen when I didn't stand up and advocate mm-hmm. for for people correctly. And so when Avery was born, it became this issue of life and death. What was I going to do? How was I able to lay down the old stories, lay down the old ways that I lived in order to be able to care for her uh, the way she needed to be cared for? And in a year where the whole country feels like They've lived through a military deployment and lots of hard things in 2020. I think this book is coming out in a divine time that we're all exhausted mm. and at the end of our limit with some of these restrictions and just loss from potential COVID losses that your book gives hope because there is still that sky full of stars. Your last yeah. little bit about a sky full of stars with endurance and perseverance and character and hope and purpose and love and trust. A story of goodness, of God's goodness. Mm. So yeah, I'm grateful that you had the time with four kids to take the time to write it because you're a really good writer. Thank you. I'm glad I had the time too. I'm really, I'm really excited to release it, especially right now in like you said, I think it's divine timing with everything that's going on. You know, when you think of a sky full of stars, you know, the, the sky is dark, you know, it's black and you can't, 
you can't always see where you're going. And that idea of a sky full of stars is that the stars are always out, but when it's bright out, you can't see that they're there. And when everything gets dark, then the skies become visible and you can can learn things about yourself and others that you wouldn't have seen in your easy, you know, ordinary yeah. life. You know, you become you get a sense of clarity on the things that you're passionate about and really gifts that you have kind of bubble to the surface as you have to survive and thrive in something that's not ideal. So I kind of think it's, you know, it's, it's a, a very unique story. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people are not going to relate to the specifics of Avery's condition, right. you know, and having a medically fragile child. But I think the idea of, of having to learn how to suffer well and, and, kind of finding out who we are in the midst of it is a really universal idea that I think a lot of people will will be able to relate to. Do you think overall that as a country that we're seeing that suffering is just part of life with COVID-19 that we're able to embrace it a little bit more? I hope so. Yeah. So how can we help someone when we know that they're suffering? Was there something that helped you the most from other people? Yeah. So so for me, it's really practical stuff. Like that's how I like to support other people. And that was really impactful when people would do just the really practical things, you know, bring a meal, drop off, you know, a gift certificate for coffee, you know, things that just said, I see you and I remember that this, you know, that this is what you're going through and people would do it, you know, years out, you know, there's that kind of initial crisis yep. and everybody's very supportive then. And then there were people that would just you know, even as time went on, just reach out in a way that said, I, I know that you're still carrying this heavy thing mm -hmm. long term, you know, and, and just those little teeny, those little teeny bits of, of support that to me felt so huge, you know. So do you f still get that sort of support in your everyday life from people? Oh, yeah. I mean, especially, you know, recently, my daughter Avery had another surgery that was the biggest one she's ever had. I mean, the, the hardest recovery she's ever had, the most pain oh. she's ever been in, which is a lot, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, from what she's been through it, it, it was really, you know, we, we weren't sure that she was going to be able to survive the surgery, that wow. kind of thing, like going yeah. into it knowing, you know, we're doing something that we have to do for her, but that is the risk of it was just astronomical. So, um, you know, it had been years since her last surgery and people are really great around surgery time you mm -hmm. know bring meals for a couple weeks afterwards and this one was just huge and and people were amazing I mean somebody reached out while she was in the hospital when she we found out that she was going to be okay I reached out and said you know could you make an Avery's wish list and so I made it and people would sell it out over like days and I'm thinking where are you people coming <laughs> from like I know that people support us and love Avery but it was just this the most dramatic outpouring of love and support that we've ever had. And she's going to be six in March, you know, like we've been doing this yeah. for a long time. But it's not going to yeah, end soon, amazing. right? Like Avery's condition requires yeah. a lot of help from you into the future, into adulthood probably. So in your family, you have three um, typically able children, right? And then Avery, how did they get along with her? Is it hard to go places as a family? Because I know October is Bully Prevention Month. Are your other kids aware of all the differences? They are aware. Um, they treat her as a completely ordinary sibling. They are aware that things are different. And my daughter, who's only 15 months older than mm -hmm. Avery, my second child, they were born really close together. 
she will say sometimes like, man, I wish Avery didn't have a trach so she could go swimming with me, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But to her, it's, it's totally normal. Like they, they don't really remember really another way of life. Now, my oldest son, we found out when Avery was little that he had a congenital heart condition. And so mm-hmm. he had surgery also, which I think after Avery was born, she, she was maybe six months old when he had surgery on his heart and they, it's a, that's a really sweet bond they have where they share kind of that unusual, that unusual suffering that's not normal to childhood that mm-hmm. really like creates a kind of maturity in children. So they have that, that bond and he is an amazing older brother anyway, very protective of her. Uh, my older daughter is very protective of her sister, but you know, as far as bullying goes, we very rarely have an experience where my other children are aware that that people are noticing Avery's differences. You know, I come from a huge family. I'm number five of eight kids, and uh, there are 24, maybe 25 at this point, grandchildren. And so wow. Avery is just, you know, surrounded with cousins. Most most of my family lives here, and so her interaction is that children treat her like she's one of them. Yeah, you know, and that yeah, she so, has this amazing so, tribe and bubble of love yes, around her. Yes. And, you know, we would go on vacation when she was, when she was really little and Avery didn't learn to walk mostly until she was about four. And, and she was aware of that difference with the other cousins who could move faster. But <laughs> I remember one Christmas, um, Avery was crawling cause she did learn to crawl when she was around 18 months. And, uh, this is probably going to make me tear up, but, uh, we, we were watching the children play and they all had reverted to crawling oh. to be on Avery's level. So there's like this row of children like crawling out of the room with her and it was just like you know that that is what family is about you know where the cousins even would 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 go to those links for being included so just really really sweet stuff like that that's amazing that yeah no I'm gonna tear up um (laughs) we've experienced some of this that my middle daughter has um amblyopia which is like lazy eye and so during mm-hmm. swim lessons when you can't wear your bifocal glasses her eye right. goes in and so my older daughter they're 16 months apart um has stepped in multiple times when she was little to say like no like my sister's eyes are just her eyes like leave her alone so i'm coming from that perspective of that every once in a while it's surprising who will make a comment or like when she had to do her eye patching, like who would notice and who would say something. Do you find that parents are scared to ask or what would you prefer people if that, yeah, if their kids are curious? Question. Yeah. And I am, I don't know that I, <laughs> I don't know that I have a good answer for that personally. Like when I walk in places, I can see that people are kind of taken aback at Avery. And I think that their expectation is that that will make me tread lightly. You know, there is this, and it's unspoken, but there's something about when people give you looks, you know, when, mm-hmm. when a child is different, that they want you to feel like you don't belong. You know, right. they want you to feel like I'm on eggshells to make you comfortable with my child. And that is just not how I'm going to live with her, you know? <laughs> no. So we walk in and and I don't look to see who's staring. You know, that was something that I felt very briefly at the beginning. I think because I'd been psyching myself out about it, you know, that yeah. people were kind of give her looks or yeah. ask. And, 
And I just walk in and, you know, <laughs> we, I, I don't, no one has ever asked me yet. Let's okay. That. I don't know how I would, how I would respond. Okay. Um, because I don't know. I have maybe high standards for children. <laughs> I have high standards for my children about how to yeah. interact with other people. No, so. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just curious because I know that, um, sometimes children are innocently curious and so there's so many ways that people want to just learn how to love someone else i think yeah and sometimes because of our own baggage or curiosity or unknown that we offend people especially parents with families with special needs because we if we're living a life that's without that burden we don't know mm. what we don't know a lot of yeah yeah, I would just say that, you know, there is a lot of innocent curiosity. And I would say at the same time that, you know, people don't get to burden other people with their curiosity. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Absolutely. You know, so it's different for children, but at the same time, like, just because you are curious, and especially as adults, because Absolutely. there is this level of, like, well, I deserve to know because you're here, which means I should get to ask. You go, go ask your doctor. Yeah. <laughs> like, my kid doesn't need to be, um, you know, bombarded with your questions because you're curious. Like, yep. you can handle yourself and your curiosity. And, you know, it's the same thing when when people would, um, you know, and I've not experienced this, but I feel a little defensive of other people that I see walk through this. Is, yeah. You know, they'll be out in public after their loved one has, you know, finished a surgery or mm -hmm. around a chemo or something, and people feel like they should be able to ask and then get the person who's experienced this to to feel the burden of helping them understand how their family member is doing and yes. you go you know you, it would probably be best if you asked someone else or if you read their newsletters that they're putting mm -hmm. out or their blog posts that they're putting out or whatever it is like don't burden the family member or the person who's going with something with your questions like do the due diligence yeah. and then maybe instead of asking questions you know say um, you know, just, just to let you know, I'm praying for you. You know, I read your post and I'm, you know, we're really rooting for yep. you or, you know, if your child has questions, maybe starting not with the, explain to me why, why your child is different. Start with like, why don't you ask her her name? Why don't you ask right. her how old she is? You know, what, what's her favorite color? You know, you like her pink glasses. Yeah. <laughs> like you're wearing a really cool a shirt. Of, yeah. Yes. A place of like, we're both humans. Not like I'm a human and you're different, so you should, you should make it all right for me by telling me by explaining your differences to me. Yep. And I'm probably very harsh about that. I just, you know, I'm somebody who, who walks into a room and like struggles to find my place. Mm -hmm. You know, as as a traditionally able person. So for Avery, it's like, girl, you just walk in any room you need to walk in. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You don't need to make anybody else feel good about it or explain to them why you matter in this room. Anywhere you go belongs to you, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think that's a really important message. Like, this whole exchange right there. I hope that someone takes that really to heart, that when someone close to you is having a hard time, that you have due diligence on your own mm. to do that. Yeah. And to make the effort to read what they're writing. 
like most of the time, right? There's all these caring bridge places and oh, Facebook, yeah. like people want to share in a way that feels safe to them. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I know people who are doing, who are writing extensive emails, you know, to send out on a newsletter and you know, that's a, that's an emotional burden just to take all the information, try to translate it into a way that kind of, in kind of layman's terms and yeah. then send it out. Like if they're doing all that work, take them up on it. Like that's the way that they've chosen to communicate with you. Don't decide, well, that's out there, but I'm not going to read it because I want to get it from the source. Don't do that. They've done this work. <laughs> you know, don't yeah. add to their plate just because, you know, you want to, I don't know. I know that it really is, it really does come from a place of love. You know, yeah. anytime somebody's asking, they're trying to communicate value and love. And mm -hmm. so I hope we can all recognize it as that, even when maybe it's, you know, misguided, you know, yeah. it really is coming from a place of, of trying to offer support. But I would just say like, if, if people are doing the work to let you know the information, um, take them up on it. Don't, don't look for your own special way of receiving that information. That's really good. So through, through Avery's journey, through becoming Avery's mom, you grew so much. How are you, what is your number one difference? Like, what are you proud of? What's your biggest change that you're proud of in becoming yeah. Avery's advocate and mom? That's a good question. Um, I would say being able to stand up and be her advocate. You know, I think for most of my life, I was really, really terrified of any disapproval of really rocking the boat or making a lot of noise. And, you know, I would say that, you know, after Avery was born, you know, the way I had to change was that I had to advocate for her in really uncomfortable ways where it was like, I would just rather be quiet and let the professionals do their work. And, and yet I, I uniquely kind of divinely had information that, you know, I think was from God to say, mm -hmm. no, you're going to have to open your mouth and speak and, and advocate for her. And so that was a huge change, just a really a change in personality to be able to say, um, you know, I, I'm sorry that you can't find out what's wrong with her, but I can't leave until you do, you know, like yeah. I'm not going to take her home. So you're going to have to try something else. And then seeing how that, you know, saved her life in several cases, it was like, okay, this is a real thing. <laughs> you know, and, and, and I kind of wielded it, um, probably not well at first, you know, it's something that you kind of have to practice until you can advocate in a way that's not, you know, like a, a punching match. <laughs> yeah. But, but initially, I think that we're, I think in American culture, that it's so easy to look up to people in white coats as, as godlike figures. Yeah. And yeah. so just in my normal everyday doctor experiences, advocating for myself has always felt like a challenge because of the prestige of doctors in the medical community. So speaking up and saying no to an attending at one point or a resident, yeah, no, the attending about a medicine in the book, yeah, that yeah. I was like, wow. <laughs> and the fact that someone came back to you and said, I am impressed that you stood up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. And, and I feel like that was at the very beginning of me figuring out how to advocate for her and, and really, I think it was God that was just like, oh, you're going to have to speak right now. <laughs> so... <laughs> She's like, we're going to use this. And I said, no, no, we're not going to do that. And, and she came back like, oh, I don't think you understand. And it was one of those, you know, I, it, if my life hadn't worked out the way it had, I wouldn't have understood. You know, I would have said yes to that, that mm -hmm. medication, but I did have this experience. And so I was able to say, oh, no, I know exactly what the medicine is. And this is what it's for. And this is how it works. And these are the warnings that come on the box. And she looked at me like, 
nobody does that. <laughs> I was like, well, I am, so we're not doing it. And not just the resident, you know, we, right. I ended up speaking to the nutritionist and a feeding therapist and they were all like, yeah, we don't use that in the United States like that. You know, that's, that was old protocol. We do not do that. I'm glad that you said that. And it, it was just that kind of thing, recognizing that I had put medical professionals as the gatekeepers, mm -hmm. the ultimate gatekeepers, you know, like I can't ever know, you know, and I, I really, I do really respect. Oh, totally. Also, you know, they're amazing. Yeah. Really I have friends that are doctors. Like, yes, they're so great people. Than I ever could. Yeah. I could never go into Avery's brain and, you know, like cut off her cerebellar tonsils. I mean, there is, they really are amazing. They're yeah. truly amazing. Uh, but I had this view of them as like the gatekeepers. Like I couldn't. I couldn't have a perspective that occurred to me that didn't occur to you and me be right. You know, that just didn't happen, but it really actually does. Cause they're not gods, you know, and it's actually unfair to put this, them in a position where we think that everything right's going to occur to them. They're going to do it all perfectly. You know, it, it, it's the practice of medicine, which means everybody really is just practicing. And, and the more unusual a child, the less practice they've had. Mm-hmm in whatever, you know, body part they're working with. So, yeah. And the more your so child is more the teacher than. Mm. Yeah, you're exactly right. As you're living through these hard things, you are exhausting yourself in so many ways. And now Avery's six. So I'm guessing, and your baby's two, cause you have another baby that comes into yeah. the story surprise beautiful Ryan so how are you doing with self-care in this moment how do you take care of yourself like you totally exhausted you poured yourself out all the way it, it took it really took years for me to figure out that I had done that you know there in, in that initial period after crisis there is so much adrenaline you kind of feel like I'm a superhuman I can do this forever and, and everything's fine and whenever there's crisis thankfully your biology works to support that <laughs> you know like it knows we're gonna rise to this occasion and we're gonna do what we need to do and and it was really when we you know Avery stopped having surgeries all the time and we were home a lot and so the adrenaline just starts to wear off a little bit and spending more and more nights awake by her you know we had mm -hmm. a lot of home health nursing at the time but we didn't have it on the weekends and so somebody had to stay up and watch Avery and and really uniquely that that job fell to me, not because my husband would not have been willing, but just because I, I took it all on, mm -hmm. like, you know, so I think by the time she was, I'm trying to remember what year it was, uh, she was probably two and a half, three. It, it occurred to me that I had really just pushed myself to the limit. You know, I was in pain my, my, everything was out of whack. And so I went to the doctor, like, you know, I'm, I'm in my late twenties and I can't walk up a flight of stairs without gasping for breath and I can't sleep on my back. You know, all these things kind of really, wow. really breaking down, you know, like what's going on. And so they were like, wow, you're in terrible, terrible shape. You know, <laughs> like you are severely anemic. You have no vitamin D in your blood. You know, all these things to say, you really have done a number. And it was just that I felt like I could go, 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 go. And it would never catch up with me. And it really, really did. And I guess the first thing I figured out was um, that that sleep was such a huge deal. You know, I I just my sleep hygiene was very very poor, and 
it was starting to get better. And then I found out that I was pregnant with Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So, as, as an infant, he, he enjoyed uh, sleep torture is what I called it for the first <laughs> year of his life. But just realizing that sleep was such a, a big deal, you know, when I got to the point where all the adrenaline had worn off and I was just so, so sick, I thought that it was like laziness, you know, like I can't get myself up and going and I'm not working out as much. And so I just need to buckle down and force myself, you know, yeah. and I did that for a time and it made it so much worse. So really figuring out that, you know, stress will kill you. It is horrendous. And there are things that are actually stressors to your body that I felt like, oh, if I have three cups of coffee, that'll help me going, you know, keep going. And it was <laughs> like, no, all that caffeine is actually going to, you know, spike your cortisol and make you way more sick. And, work, you know, doing heavy lifting is going to make you way worse than if you did gentle yoga on the floor every day. <laughs> so it was this change of mindset, like, no, I'm not lazy. I've actually just completely beaten my body down. Yeah. And being as gentle and kind of it as possible is, is the way to slowly, you know, work back up. So that was a whole lifestyle shift to it, make. And one sounds that like I it. kind of fight against now, like, no, I should be running every day. But I, you know, I had been running. And then when we found out Avery needed the surgery, this was back in August, um, running made me feel nauseous, you know, nauseous. And yeah. it was like, no, this is your body telling you not your weak push harder <laughs> But we're trying to protect you and let you know that this is too much for you. You need to stop. And so, it, you know, I had to stop and sleep more and go for walks instead of runs and, and just figure out that when your biology is breaking down, it's not that it, it is against you. It is for you and, and acting in a way that's giving you these red flags to say, hey, we need some help. You know, you, you're doing too much. You need to scale back or, or, you know, go talk to your doctor and figure out what it is. That's hurting you. So that's huge. Um, I think that so often we go to that mental self-talk, right? Of of that I'm just not enough, and that I have to push harder, and that it must be me. Um, oh yeah, my my like internal failure of control, or you know, I'm just not a good enough person, or you know, all the stories of shame that we layer onto ourselves that hide the fact that we are a fantastic child of God that we just take all of this in right and layer yeah. it on this idea you know like that my body is failing me you know and really that's very rarely the case where your you know biology truly turns against you that's very rare <laughs> usually it's that it's, it's it really is trying to help you and I I realized in a lot of ways because I I didn't ever want to verbalize my feelings yeah that really my body was telling the stories that my mind wouldn't you know and so all these red flags, you know, where we want to say, oh, our bodies are just weak or, you know, it's user error. We aren't doing enough. And yeah, just like you said, that shame based work harder, mm -hmm. perform more, hustle more. If you're yeah. not hustling, you're, you know, you're a weakling. And yeah, I think we're all workaholics. Mm. Oh, yeah. I think that workaholism is not limited to a corporate environment. I think moms have been sold it hook, line, and sinker. Oh, yeah. And so, so how do you, are you better at speaking your feelings now since all of this happened? Yeah, I, I would say yes. I don't love to do them in real time. <laughs> I like to kind of 
to flesh them out privately and then and you know and then talk about them or write about yeah. them but it usually means by the time I'm sharing them that I have dealt with and yeah. digested them myself <laughs> no that makes sense I mean it's it's just one of those things that I think that there's a generation of us right that we feelings weren't talked about and I think yeah. that all of our kids right now that are being raised by women that are reawakening to their voice and their feelings, they're going to have a leg up on this. But so many of us are, we push ourselves and we ignore that these, these feelings, right, are things that are felt. Right, right. And it, it just feels like weakness. You know, emotion means that I'm, I'm not handling it well enough. And that just isn't the case. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. So how is life now? So Avery's had another surgery. Yeah, yesterday we went we went and removed kind of the external part of some hardware that they put in her head, and we do have to go back in in December and take it out again. So we know there's another surgery there, but you know, other than those surgeries, it has it has really like level. And then of course I had to write a book, and and <laughs> and now I'm doing that. So it's, there's a little more adventure right now than normal, but. It, it just got so easy and peaceful as we learned better s systems, you know, as walking through crisis together, you know, my husband and I had to learn how to support each other in, in our unique ways. You know, I used to think that going into crisis, everybody would have this shared experience of crisis, this shared experience of grief. And we really don't. And I think that that's kind of a, a protective mechanism where I could fall apart and he'd be strong and then maybe he'd be going through something and I would be feeling stronger mm -hmm. and it feels like we're disconnected sometimes but it really is you know we can never expect somebody to grieve or process the way we do so over the years we we have come into a really good system for the family and you know everybody is verbal at this point so we Hurrah! can talk to each other which is a huge thing you know that I can communicate with every single one of my children which is which is great so we we are homeschooling. You know, we I've been doing that for a couple of years. I was homeschooling before Avery was born, and then I stopped and sent my my oldest son, who was the only school aged child at the time, to to private school, and, and with the promise that when everything calmed down, I would bring him back home. And so, two years ago, um, I, I told him I would bring him home in the fall, and we did. And he was he is just thrilled. He does so well at homeschooling and Avery of homeschooled now this is her second year so she's in kindergarten I did preschool with her last year and this is my first year of homeschooling my second child who um is is full of energy but she is doing really really well and we just have reached such a sweet spot uh, as a family it's really it's really special and something that I appreciate so much more after yeah. you know two or three years of just non-stop crisis one of the lines is that you had to trust the process of childhood for mm. when ryan was born yeah are you still trusting the process of childhood as you're especially now as you're homeschooling and seeing these kids all day long <laughs> all day long more and more really you know i really took that that process for granted and tried to control it more than i should have when my two older children were younger and then uh, you know, and, and thought I had way more of a hand in it than I needed to. You I know? think every Avery's mom been, feels that way, right? Yeah, I think so. And Avery was just this experiment in in how much I did need to be involved. Mm -hmm. And then 
spent years and years working with, you know, physical therapists and occupational therapists mm-hmm. and speech and feeding and, and learned so much about what happens naturally for a child. And that if you actually leave them to develop as they should without intervening and trying to make it more convenient by our, you know, for ourselves, right. by putting them in special little bouncer seats and all these things. Like yep. when I realized that there was so much, there was so much to the way children used to be raised that now we've, we've turned into all the gadgets moms need when you first have a baby, all yes. these things that the industry of childhood now, right? Very much the that industry is, and pushing independence so much earlier than yes, maybe they're yes. ready. Yes. We're pushing to, you know, if you have a child who's maybe a little slower to speak, wanting to intervene immediately. And there yep. are times where intervening is important, but there are other times where you just need to trust the process of their development and if everything else is moving at that same speed you know like every child kind of has their developmental curve and as long as we're following the curve even if it's slower it's totally fine like don't give a child a complex where they don't need to have one and so uh, our our pediatrician who was Avery's um, kind of primary care she doesn't have a a big hand in Avery's care but kind of we just keep up with her every once in a while and um, you know she would she knew why I was so panicked about you know Ryan as a baby and and she would just tell me he's fine I he really is fine you just gotta let this boy do what he needs to do and I just felt like you know he was a colicky baby I just felt like I needed to get in there and and help him out you know the way I had to do with Avery and she was just like you really just need to put him down on the ground and let him figure it out and (laughs) he really did and he has been my my earliest developer in every single way he is really a a genius of a child and and something that I had I can take no credit for yeah you know I I had nothing to do with it I really (laughs) had to let him do what he needed to do and and there is so much even with homeschooling that you know we want to we we see where something could be an issue so we want to get it in a metal right away Uh it's just like just let them be for a little while. Let's yep. just let's just, just follow this train. Let's just follow their lead for a minute and see where this goes. And there, there's just so much there. I really could write a book just on that, like you know, trusting those those processes of of childhood that are you know designed by God yes. and really necessary. And you know, we we in our zeal to to mother them well, sometimes we overmother them and we we steal from them. Honestly. Yeah, I, I, I found one of my planners from homeschooling um, that was like five years old because I have a ninth grader, a seventh grader, and a second grader that I homeschool. And so I found some notes from when my seventh grader was, I don't know, five years ago. So in second grade, and I was concerned about some pencil grip development or something. And I was like, well, that's worked out. Like, yeah. okay. I don't have to worry about that. Like I was so concerned that I remember Googling and feeling like I was going to fail in some way. And I could just have trusted the process a little bit more, played a little bit more with Play-Doh, like put some opportunities in there for natural development, but not worry about it because she's, she's amazing. She can play the violin just fine. So I'm sure she's got manual dexterity to hold her pencil nowadays. I know she does. Oh, you got it. That's great. That is a great word for somebody I know. (laughs) It's so hard in those moments. I think sometimes the hardest thing about homeschooling, I'll jump on and give my little soapbox moment for this one, is that we don't see the other kids our kids' ages. 
right? Like we see the 12 year old that we have, we see the seven year old that we have, but we don't have the seven year old collective to compare them against. So when I was a classroom teacher before I taught, like I had this whole room of third graders. So I could see like, oh, this is just what third graders do. And I know that there's this giant spectrum. But as I homeschool, I've lost that big view of like, oh, this is just a 12 year old thing. It's gonna work itself out. So when you said about trusting the process of childhood, even now with my kids being the ages that they are, I still have to lean in. Like this mm -hmm. process of living and growing just happens. And it was yeah. such a such a good line that I highlighted it and I put it on a sticky note in front of me. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good. So thank you for writing this journey and thank you for sharing. I felt like I was grieving living with you as I was reading this. And I know that you're, you're beyond what you wrote and you're still living this life. Um, but I'm glad that you got this moment on paper. Yeah, thank you. So thank, thank you. you. Every episode I end with a self-care idea that a mom can do something small or tiny or something that can breathe life into them. And then a family play idea. Do you, um, would you like to share some ideas for those today? Yeah, so I have figured out that self-care for me has changed depending on the season that I'm in, you know? So it's, to me, it's really about like taking a second and figuring out what do I need? What is gonna be, what is, where am I gonna get the biggest bang for my buck in self-care? And for me right now that because I'm homeschooling everybody and they're in the house with me all the time, most of the time it's getting up early I know that's not a sexy thing to say but like <laughs> getting up early so that I spend time as an introvert where no one is talking to me where no one needs anything from me yep and I'll do devotions um maybe read a book you know set my coffee so that it's already brewing when I get up you know at six and then just sitting there by myself so that's something for me right now in other times it's been where a few mornings a week I'll have set it up with my husband that he gets up with the baby and I sleep for an extra yeah. 30 minutes. You know, that, those practical things are so important. And, and they're not the same from season to season. So it's not really about, all. like, getting the pulse on where you are and then saying, what do I need in this season? What do I need today? What is going to help me, you know, feel most like myself, feel most filled up so that I can give to other people? So that's where I am currently is just trying to spend a little bit of time every day by myself. Yeah. And a family play idea, I'm so glad you asked that because it that just does not come naturally to me. Play <laughs> does not come naturally to me. And so I was thinking like, what ways have we been, have we been doing that? And for us, we have made like Friday nights a movie night. Yeah. And so we'll have dinner a little early and everybody gets their bath and everybody's ready for bed. And I never would have allowed this before because, you know, like the blue light you screen before bed is a terrible idea. But on Fridays, it was like, this is something that they love so much that works in all seasons and we it can does. do this. And then, and then, um, the other day we were playing baseball out in the backyard. And so that is something we did as a family. We had the chickens running around, the dog running around trying to eat the baseball, but <laughs> it was just such, it was such a good time. And my son said to me, like, when we do this, these are the best days that we have. Like, that is so, that is so sweet. And something that, you know, when they go outside to play with their dad, it's like, you go outside, I'll make dinner or I'll right. inside the house. I want to be efficient and use this time wisely. 
And all they wanted me to do was sit out there on the deck and watch them play. Because they know they're not going to want me yeah. to play baseball <laughs> with them. But, um, you know, just to witness. So they could say, hey, mom, did you see that? You know, whatever. So staying in the space. It's so thing. hard, yeah. right? To, I think this yeah. is where when we talk about moms and workaholism, we miss the moments because oh, yeah. we're trying to get work done instead of being in the space and being yeah. witness. And that's all they wanted was for me to just sit out there and, and watch them play. And it was really, it was really, really special. So that's fantastic. I'm glad you did that. Way to go. That's yeah, huge. Okay. Like seriously, pat on the back and then remind yourself next time. Yeah. The dishes, yeah, the dishes will get done. We know they will. You have a track record. True. Exactly. I don't know why I don't get <laughs> that with myself. You know, like if I, if I let it go a couple times a week to go sit out there and be with them, like, is that going to be the, the, the snowball that keeps rolling into the, you know, the house just blows up and becomes a mess. Like that's not the case. I'm not that I'm, you know yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So why, <laughs> why not take advantage of those times? You know, and that's, that's something I, that's a work in progress for me. I, you know, I'm sure someone else needed to hear that because I think we all have the thing that we think is going to snowball and that we're scared to, to let it sit for a little bit. So thank you so much. Where can people find you online, Meg, so they can keep following you? Yeah. So most of the time I'm on Instagram. That's kind of where I share our day to day. And, and so my handle is Meg underscore Apperson. Okay. And I do write for my blog relatively regularly that is for fine lives.com and i'm never on facebook if i can help it so those are really the two places where me too you can find me. <laughs> i have a facebook account i haven't deactivated it but it's just gathering dust yes instagram makes me have one because the two are connected but i yeah i try to avoid i don't have the app on my phone like i have instagram on my phone i do not have facebook on my phone so I actually have to go to the website to ever engage that way. But those are the places you can find me. Don't don't try Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. And um, good luck. Keep writing. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, I enjoyed it. Good to talk to you.